Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. dedicated to Henry Farmer. In the year of the primal form, the dawn of terrestrial Man mastered the mammoth and horse, and man was the lord of the earth. He made him an skin. Greetings and felicitations, children of technology. We have the killing technology. This is Alan Averill. This is Agitators Anonymous. This is episode 119. This one is available as a video uh, chat over on my YouTube channel. Just search Alan Averill on YouTube and you will find me. This is a conversation with Okai from Bolzer from Switzerland. Um, without doubt, as I said on the YouTube channel, one of the most enigmatic and original bands that have emerged in the last 10, 15 years. We played with them many times with Primordial. We've played the Eros at Arms Festival, the anniversary of um, Bolzer. Um, and in my humble opinion, one of the uh, the greatest, the best bands in the last 10, 15 years to emerge really with this incredible individual style, a real handle on something very different um, in opposition to most of the modern black death metal scene. And so it's a very interesting discussion with Okai. We discuss his gear choices, his, uh, the decisions of the band as a two-piece, moving from New Zealand to uh, Switzerland, coping with the outsider status, but also more highfalutin concepts like romanticism, heroism, spirituality, um, some of the media hatchet jobs that were done on him as they rose to fame, um, and just life in general. Arkai is a great conversation companion and an all-round good egg, as we said, in the 1920s. Well, my friends, without further ado, Agitators Anonymous episode 19 is a fully formed and fledged and flown from the coop interview with Okai Jones, Mr. Okai from Bolzer. Enjoy. Recording in progress. There you are. There you go. What's your choice of uh, hot beverage this evening? Dude, I'm drinking a tea. It's like a hemp tea. Hemp yeah. tea, of course it is. <laughs> well, it doesn't have any THC in it, but... um. All right. 
And then I have a very fine drop, a small wee drum here to All like right. accompany. I see. It's pure extravagant luxury lifestyle that you're living. <laughs> Not really, no. <laughs> um, well, I have some very, very sweet tea. Okay. Uh, it's not tea, it's coffee. It's coffee with honey in it. I uh, See there, power of suggestion. I'm just trying to copy you. So what's going on? We've been trying to do this for a while. We have been indeed. Um, it's good that we actually managed to make it work. I think both of us were just like juggling time frames, and it just wasn't ideal. Yeah. Um, yeah, man, I'm just, well, at the moment, it's been up and down. Um, it always is, but uh, we're just uh, trying to focus on writing new material at the moment, actually, yeah. and getting prepared for our our tour in the fall. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, and then otherwise just running running business and stuff, and that's, that's really my life at the moment. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, like I said, I'm here to, um, sh uh, hopefully we can get around to shattering your optimistic dreams of humanity over like <laughs> 25 minutes or so. <laughs> okay. So, well, let's go back. I want to go back to the um, the start of all this shenanigans. Um, firstly, like, I'm sure you've answered these things in other interviews, but I've never read them or I don't, you know, I'm not, don't pay that much Um how why in the beginning of the band was it did you start with two people like where what was the idea behind the no bass thing and then also like the first time um like i saw you and we met and all that kind of thing struck by the um the, the style of the guitar playing and the style of the riffing which was something that was kind of mm -hmm. came completely out of left field like was that an mm -hmm. intentional idea or did you and fabian just sort of fall into those roles um, I think they they sort of run hand in hand, really. Um, given the history I had playing in bands, I was usually the sole guitar player. So um, I ended up, you know, trying to fill up the space with my own guitar. And back then, that was like a six string in New Zealand when I was playing with um, with Cam Sinclair and stuff, you know, of like, you know, Diocletian and Witchchrist yeah. and all that, that scene. Um, yeah, so I was... Uh, I was really playing alone most of the time and, and all the bands that I grew up on, they sort of fed that, that ideal, you know, of like being a, um, a vocalist front man with a very solid rhythm section um, at his hands. And also what my dad does as well was very inspiring for me, just, just the way he fills up things sonically. And I think that's, that's what I carried on into, into builds ideally. Um, obviously it was just the two of us when we decided to start, start rehearsing and um uh, at least contemplating the idea of forming a project and um yeah when when things started to sort of come together well some some form of of uh you know aesthetical value at least that we appreciated um it became apparent that i was just doing the same thing really that i was trying to fill up the space by myself and make it work with just him in the room. And there wasn't, I mean, initially there wasn't really a notion that we had to get a basis straight away. We wanted to write songs first and then focus on that later. Um, when we did um, reach that point, um, we asked a few friends of ours who had been playing bass for a few years and it just never really worked out. There was the, the, the vibes weren't right. You know, um, they were just on a different kind of wavelength than we were. And, uh, and then I think by that point, I was becoming obsessed or had already fallen in love with a BC Rich bitch, which yeah. I'd seen online. And the idea of having a 10 string anyway, 
um, was kind of like this. It was a notion that I was familiar with through a 12-string acoustic guitar, at least. And, you know, um, knowing what that did when you played it, um, I thought, well, that, that could be the solution, you know, at least to achieving some kind of a sonic um, <laughs> sort of a steroid boost. And um, so, yeah, I went around purchasing one, got that, and that sort of really uh, formed the initial releases we made. Yeah, all the songs were written around that time. Um, so Roman Acupuncture demo and the Aaron Soma songs as well. Mm. And, um, yeah. Because it's a strange thing because that guitar, I think, I'd, had a sort of also a fascination for me. And I got the sort of the bass that I suppose was aesthetically inspiring from when I was a kid, um, an old BC Rich as well. But is that's the same guitar that bands like, you know, people like Dave Mustaine and all had, but then took the other string off because they were yeah. looking for the same kind of the, that sort of um, aesthetic, but in reverse, which. Yeah. Well, I, th I think a lot of that, I mean, that was part of that era of those guitars, which, which were suddenly so appealing to all those hard rock and heavy metal musicians, obviously because of the body cut. Mm. And I mean, I never found the, the bitch to be, you know, very sexy, if I can be honest. I mean, I, I always have, I preferred like a mockingbird or um, yeah. a warlock or something, but um, or an iron bird. But uh, yeah, but that was the guitar that, you know, was one of the only examples I'd found, at least on the internet, that was electric, um, had a like a, you know, a solid humbucker setup that I could run directly into my amp and it would sound huge and had the 10 strings that I was after. So um, yeah. That's what I ended up with, and it, it really, it really f sort of fed the the whole writing process um, for a for a long time. Yeah, because that sort of uh, that sort of uh, what struck me the first time when I saw the band, and I think one of the most striking shows was actually I think it was a gig in Belfast. There wasn't many people there or anything, but was the um, the unusual combination of the um, the kind of the style, the notes, the picking style, but like how much of that is obviously well, a lot of it is you, but then some of it is also the fact that you've chosen this guitar, which has sort of led you down a different path because it was such a kind of unusual thing. I always point out, I always think that like, there's a couple of people I've seen in bands for the last 10, 15 years, whether it's yourself or Ed from negative plane or something like this, who are mm. sort of adding this otherness to, um, mm you know the standard black death metal style and that that really kind of struck me and then of course as you the more and more you see it you go back and listen to the records it became much more um sort of much more striking in my impressions of the band you know mm -hmm. yeah um well thanks man i mean definitely i mean ed's ed style was also made a big impression on me when i first heard it on record and then obviously seeing them live too and there's definitely a number of guitarists out there that um, continue to inspire me in certain ways, you know, just, and uh, there were many in the past that were, um, I, I was never into like huge technical ability. I always found, found it awe inspiring, but for something like me, technicality had to be mixed with, you know, like this genial streak of, um, of, of good riff writing as well, like um, Trey or something, you know, yeah. that, I mean, it's a prime example for me. Um, I mean, you might bark at it, but I mean, Dimebag did a similar thing to me as well um, for a lot of years with his yeah. writing. But um, yeah, I think um, after a while, you just, you, you know, you dive in the deep end and you sort of, you start writing out of, from nothing, you know, you're just really feeding this, this, um, these possibilities with, with what you have at your hands. And um, I, 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 I'm still, uh, 
of the impression that it's working. Uh, at least with the new stuff, it seems to be getting more solid um, yeah. as years go on. Um, yeah, but I mean, you do you do make adjustments to your setup as well. Um, there's there are quite a few to be made mm. within the next coming months. But uh, yeah, I'm still a very down to earth, basic guy. Like I'm not, you know, very technically proficient, and I'm not into like shit loads of effects and like you know finding all of these um, electronic solutions for things. I, I like to rely on the basics, and um, yeah. It's a, it's, a, it's a ginger thing, surely. <laughs> surely, yeah, maybe. <laughs> the well, one of the things that we always talk about, um, I suppose, when we've had a few drinks or whatever, is the notion, the kind of notion, and I kind of find, kind of find it quite fascinating, especially now, um, you know, getting a little bit older, and the sort of um, wanton nihilism that sort of embodied so much sort of of the extreme metal twenty, twenty five, and thirty years ago. Um, which you know had its place in sort of in your upbringing, mm. it, and I always kind of say this to you is that uh, for some reason, Bolzer, uh, it's kind of uh, to me stands almost kind of uh, uh, opposed to an awful lot of that sort of willful mm. negativity that embraces an awful lot of black metal or whatever you want to say, and that's mm. maybe because of the some some of the subject matter or um, well, I mean that's what I'm going to ask you about, but yeah. it seems that the kind of, um, not the message, but whatever the spirit that's imbued within the band is a sort of slightly in opposition to many of that stuff. And so therefore, kind of almost reminds me a bit of um, more like traditional heavy metal, uh, which has mm -hmm. a sort of flame of optimism in it or something, you know, mm -hmm. which, despite, which is weird because you guys are in the scene, but you're also kind of facing it from another direction. It would seem kind of that sort of, it felt like that to me when I first saw the band and stuff, you know? Yeah. Well, I, th I think that's a valid, at least a valid observation. Um, and I, I, I wouldn't want to, you know, negate that at all. Um, I think a lot of the, the idea behind the, 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 the lyrical contents and the, the vibes in the music and the reason I, you know, choose to write them, I guess, is a, um, um, a journey of empowerment or at least, wanting to feed myself something positive amidst a lot of negativity, you know? I wouldn't say it's um, purely an optimistic undertaking, not at all, but um, I do have a very self-destructive side and I do feed that, you know, but um, I'm in constant battle with myself. <laughs> um, and I think the songs are a bit of a um, therapeutic sort of uh, platform for that, you know? Mm. I mean, if, I'm um, sort of... I sort of know what you mean in the sense that so sometimes I go to write a lyric or go to write a song and I think to myself, oh, you fucking cunts, I'm going to give it to you now. I'm going to write the most, <laughs> I'm going to write the most fucking nihilistic, pessimistic, <laughs> no future for you lyric. And then I get halfway through and I go, ah, then something happens along the journey of that lyric or that song or whatever. And, you know, I'd be in the rehearsal room looking at Kieran and Paul and they'd all be playing. And then I think, oh, but maybe it just needs this little twist at the end. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Because yeah. you know, it's hard to maintain that level of um, sort of, uh, you know, willful pessimism when you've got Kieran going, so what the fuck is this about anyway? You know? And you're yeah. Going, oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, back to the, the point of existing within a scene, which is, as you said, you know, 
um, often very opposed to what we kind of do. I mean, we we realized from early on that we're kind of black sheep in the whole group, and that's that's fine. Um, or you know, white sheep, whatever you want to call it. Um, sort of a bit of the odd ones out. And that's not really a problem. We got a lot of flack for that. And I guess you polarize anyway if you're doing something different. Yeah. And I'm pretty used to that in terms of, you know, who I am and 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 just life in general. But um, so that was never an issue. And I guess it sort of if anything, it really fed the fed the fire, you know. Mm. And um and after all of those years, um a lot of people have, have really come to terms with that and appreciate it for what it is. Um, which is a good thing, and, and and if anything, it can be become somewhat of an advantage, I guess. I mean, yeah. you know, there's a lot of, I guess you're you're fighting a, a lot of mediocrity anyway. Um, dare I say that? But yeah. just people are not willing to step out of the their safe haven to you know try something new. Yeah, and for me, that is that's you know stagnation is just the total enemy. I mean, I would I would I would just stop before that ever happened. But um. Yeah. So I'd rather, um, you know, step on some toes before sounding like everyone else. Yeah. yeah, it's kind of like running against the pack, but it's the pack that sort of, you know, the fact that it's sort of self-proclaimed pack in itself. Yeah. So you're kind of like outside yeah. the outside, which kind of gives you, I said, gives you one foot in and one foot outside as well. Like it's very, I find it very interesting to go to underground festivals, underground scenes and be sort of, kind of on the periphery in that people yeah. kind of don't expect you to be there or be part of it and you're kind of not really kind of sort of part of it but you understand yeah. what makes it great and you were there 30 years ago but you're so it's kind of a strange way to be estranged do you know what i mean but still yeah, in yeah, contact yeah. with everything somehow yeah well i mean and you're definitely um a, a gentleman to be able to say that you know and i have to i have to feed this in right now that you know, Primordial was a huge inspiration for me back in the day and still is. And um, from, if I if I may say so, you have that note of that optimism, that powerful kind of resolve, you know, within the melodies, as well as this melancholy and this yeah. nihilistic edge to it. Um, yeah, I mean, that, that's very, the battle between the different empowering. people, you know. Yeah, yeah. But um, it's just, it's, it's you know, it's, it's figures like that in a scene that really mean a lot to me and always have and so yeah. what about but, but how is this embodied then for example in the archetype of like hero or the hero i mean are we talking about taking inspiration from the sort of um you know um pagan i suppose embodiments of that or where is where have you where does this kind of idea come from because it seems like that notion and that word um, is sort of um, embodied in the, I suppose, the kind of things that we're talking about. You you mean the positive, the positivity, the 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 overcoming? Yeah, kind of, yeah. I mean, the, obviously, the, the sort of self-overcoming, but also it seems like in such sort of dark times that um, the notion mm -hmm. that we are searching for or needing some mm -hmm. sort of uh, heroic embodiment of mm -hmm. willpower or virtue, I mean... Mm -hmm. I, I think in essence, I mean, hero included, definitely, that was sort of the culmination um, um, in very obvious terms of what I was speaking about most of the time in the songs anyway. But um, uh, there the idea was to, to create this kind of um, very sort of vivid story-like 
um, run of run of texts and and a storyline in, in in essence as well, um, revolving around you know overcoming um, uh, you know acceptance of of fate and and a, a total cycle um, you know from birth to death and then rebirth I guess would be the the next step which was left open for the listener but. Um, uh, the idea of it being relevant nowadays for me personally was finding yourself and also finding your place um, among like-minded people who are wanting to support you, um, your family, all of very, very down-to-earth values, I would say. I mean, you mentioned paganism. Yeah, but I, for sure, I mean, that would run into that. But for me, they're just timeless um, values, I guess, you know being in touch with yourself, nature. Um, uh, yeah. I mean, it could run a lot of different. Yeah. I mean, it kind modes. of, it sort of fit, it fitted in with some um, things, I suppose that I was reading at the time, some sort of early 20th century European writers and the sort of idea that they believed that the, um, the classical age of Europe was over. And they were thinking that even before the first world war had begun. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean, I suppose it's a kind of romantic notion of the sort of ancient Greek Roman um, yeah. sort of, I suppose, origins of the of democratic Europe or whatever. But they felt that by even by 1910, um, that the sort of that that classical age was over. And I don't know, like wh when I was looking, listening to the album and, um, you know, kind of taken in some of the messages from it, it sort of struck me that there was a kind of a feeling of romanticism to the message as well in a kind of like, you know, this sort of candle in a dark time in the dark and, uh, you know, in the window of a storm kind of thing, which I often tried to get into primordial as well. You know, mm -hmm. the sort of idea that there might be this, as you say, this candle in the window of a, of a dark storm that you might be finding your way through and see in the distance. Yeah, does that, make, yeah. does that make any sense? I'm pulling it. It, it. it does. I would say it makes more most sense to me because uh, of the context. Um, you know, these kind of themes used in a modern, um, like a modern uh, um, canvas, uh, presented with this. You know, not necessarily compatible form of music. If you're referring it into like um, as as a romanticized. Um, heathen kind of idea of of mm. um, pan European you know past or whatever. Um, I think it can quickly become this kind of a, um, a notion or a concept, you know, and become easily applicable to many different things. And obviously, situations many of them which I might personally find unsavory. I mean, if it was getting into a very political kind of environment yeah. or something like that, yeah. um, but. The point being is the content being applied to, you know, these times and a modern um, modern day and age and uh, form of music again, I guess it's, um, it, it, it's a little, it can become a little ambiguous for many people. What does it really mean? You know, because we're not, we're not, we're not using ancient instruments. We're not a pagan band mm. trying to present uh, those ideals or anything. And as you said, I, I guess I've intentionally also used a kind of a lyrical form, which is very, it is also modern, you know, mm. I mean, the, the tactics within, they're not, they're not antiquated and, mm. um, 
it, it, it's still rock and roll and metal there. Um, yeah. So, yeah, but I, I think essentially for me, it's Bilzer is always um, a very abstract um, kind of ejection of of ideas. And um, for me, often it never really, I don't want it to make 100% sense, if you know what yeah, I mean. Yeah. I, want, I want it to be um, a moment in time and then leave it and move on to something new. Yeah, and yeah. I, I and I accept that there'll be many, like, you know, there'll be many mistakes in there or things I would perhaps want to change later on. Mm. But, um, yeah, that's the way of the game. Yeah, I mean, people have come up to me and said, oh, well, you know, what about this song? What does it mean? And there are phases when I've had to say, well, actually, that particular song that you've picked doesn't really mean very much. What the, what mm. the, the, the trial and error of that song was to attempt to create um, a sort of visual mm. with words in the in the style of a let's say an Edgar Allan Poe or something that's mm -hmm. just a sort of mm -hmm. visual um, drama or whatever mm -hmm. you call it that doesn't actually quite have that much you know that huge a meaning or like Babel's Tower it's about language but it's actually just me saying sorry to someone but it's dressed yeah. up in this complicated language and that's the beauty of it that some songs can be somewhat um, a little bit playful in the sense that they're just like hey sorry or exactly. they're actually yeah. about the death of entire nations. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I mean, isn't that it, that's the beauty behind that yeah. that medium? You know, I mean, you have the the possibility and also the allowance to do that. I think that's a, a very liberating um, exercise. You know, but tell um, me, but but what I'm interested in is because is the kind of things that I think we're not we're not um, how should we say walking to completely um separate well we are separate paths but they're kind of headed in something of the same di uh, direction with some of the lyrics but what i'm trying mm -hmm. to get at is the idea um this sort of heroic archetype mm -hmm. to me mm -hmm. somehow seems that you're uh, it's sometimes for you more social than cultural would that be right or well i, I wouldn't necessarily se i don't know i wouldn't separate you two it depends what mm. you know means to an end or what what is um exactly being sought mm, within I, that figure or because i'm painting sometimes with very broad strokes and that's why sometimes yeah. people kind of i mean it's deliberate deliberate so people can misunderstand it sometimes we're taken in a very broad context and sometimes as you say taken in places that are can be unsavory or whatever but when you mm -hmm. then, which starts to happen once you talk about culture nation state um and you know ancient history and all that kind of stuff Right. Um, or even not even ancient in uh, near history, but some t something about Bolzer seems to me to be um, a little bit out of that context or something like it's it's difficult to pin down where sometimes I'm trying to make it very deliberately. Oh, this is about this thing. Yours is, as you say, a bit more abstract. It is. It is definitely. I'm answering I mean, your own questions. <laughs> you are. You're doing it very well. Thank you. <laughs> um, uh, well, the idea of the hero there, you know, in um, re with regards to hero itself, uh, is definitely an abstract notion, but um, it, it obviously taps into what I mentioned in a few interviews as well, is the cycle, you know, the old cycle based on classicistic or, or mm. pagan um, um, ideas of a, of a structure, of a of the story, of a... Um, an, an archetype or a, a figure's life who is changing himself or meeting himself in many different scenarios um, and overcoming essentially. Um, and the, 
I think the root of it was still revolving around the red thread that pulls itself through most of my lyrics is this rebellious self, you know, this rebellious figure, regardless of the time frame and regardless of the, the name I might give him. Um, you could often um, think of it in terms of Luciferian ideal or um, of an ancient Greek heroic figure or, yeah, yeah. or um, you know, I mean, it, it's, there's, there are many different um, contexts you could apply, but um, on, on Hero in particular, it was revolving around that, that cycle principle. And there was no uh, intentional political structure there that I wanted to tap into um, in a social context. It was, it was more really revolving around some dreamlike apparitions that I had had myself Mm. um, in a, in a, a conscious or subconscious state and some psychedelic experiences as well. And and just a lot of ideas that I've been carrying around that I I had a lot of, a lot of frustration in me and obviously what had been, what's been going on around, uh, you know, um, a 40 year old man's life that is, you, you would like to make a lot of changes yourself, but you can't necessarily, you know, well, so. Well, you know what they, they say, what is it? They say that life is what happens when you're busy making plans, you know, <laughs> when you're busy making plans. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's, it's kind of interesting because, um, how does it then continue on to the EP then afterwards? You know what I mean? Does it reach some sort of resolution? Because for me, what's interesting is the story that seems to be um, revealed or being told is very at odds with the modern sort of um, narrative, at least that we're told, not only in the West, but I think in general, that mm-hmm. which seems to be so bent on a sort of sort of self-destructive form of guilt or self-abrogation or all that kind of stuff and so when something comes along even you know even it's in microculturally and goes well hey the, this is about something that should give you a tool to find out how you can be a better version of yourself mm-hmm. or something like that mm-hmm. it's kind of um i find it kind of interesting because once you sweep aside all the self-help bullshit there's there isn't much music or there isn't much culturally that sort of leans into that stuff Do, does mm-hmm. that make any sense yeah, absolutely. Well, um, I think the key word for me is escapism in a positive way. That's what music really does for me. It allows me to get away from um, a lot of these symptoms that I feel um, in the, in this time and age and point in my life. Um, and I guess, yeah, uh, you're right on right on board there. Um, it's not really in tune with what we're otherwise presented with and it might not as come across as a very worthy solution on first glance or first listen because it's it, it's a very sort of abstract kind of you know ideal in itself but i like to think of music as a, a language and music can speak and the vibes that i get off writing something and then being able to present it if they're empowering for me then I'm sure they will be for a few other people who choose to listen to it. Yeah, it's yeah. not as if I'm, you know, trying to force it upon them. But um, and if if that happens, then that's an additional bonus. And um, there's been so many people over the years that have told me, you know, that the sound has given them so many, so many, uh, yeah, positive <laughs> gains in life, um, spiritually and and yeah, yeah. Um, 
emotionally, physically. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I always think that would be such a terrible shame to waste this, the opportunity to try and reach people like that. Like I, I always said that primordial was standing, even when we're in the mainstream at big festivals and stuff that we're kind of standing in opposition to most of the stuff around us. But that, mm. what I, but I, to me, it always felt like if we were to waste an opportunity to not try and say something, with what the band is, then how, what a sort of kind of disgrace to your artistic inheritance and ancestry, um, or the, the cultural, you know, weight of uh, where we come from, and to go mm -hmm. like, well, this one's going to be about pirates and fucking drinking beer and blah, 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 blah. <laughs> Not that there's anything wrong with any of those things collectively, but it just would feel <laughs> like, it just felt like a terrible weight to try and, you know, just shrug it off completely. So it's just like, all right, we'll try and carry it in our own way this way so to me it always seems like primordial had set itself up against the kind of traditional norms of heavy metal in that sense but maybe uh -huh. it was a bit arrogant when we were kids but we thought well we, we have to this is our burden our uh -huh. artistic cultural burden which is which we are going to willfully give me that i'll carry this now uh, and the point was that there was no escape from the cultural weight of what we're doing and for people That's watching they were going Oh fuck! Here's a band who are singing about the Irish famine, where yeah. on the other stage is some shit about pirates or fast cars, and eventually the message gets through. All right, okay, I'm going. We we submit, you know. Well, isn't that that's beautiful, isn't it? I mean, I was I was about to say before you mentioned Irish, uh, not pirates, and it's <laughs> in itself is just very. You know the whole the whole fact the the coming to terms the acknowledgement the the willfulness to to take it on as this kind of thing is just Irish in itself. I don't know. It I seems suppose. I, I suppose. Well, didn't they say you can't psychoanalyze the Irish? <laughs> <laughs> Who said that? Uh, that's Freud, isn't it? Yeah, is it Freud? it's impossible. They're impossible to psychoanalyze. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, but the the I just want to sort of. The aesthetic of, of uh, is something that I've always really appreciated because it makes the band stand out, especially in an age now where um, this is the new or the last, the Les Majesty. But that's with so many, you know, so so there's so so much music now. It's so easy to get quite good. <laughs> <laughs> there's so much, so many things uh, being released now. You know, like it's so hard to stand out with any sort of distinction. But you can get into the aesthetic a bit and how that matches with the um, the lyrics and that sort of thing, because I've, I find it quite, um, it's been interesting from the first EP, you know what I mean? From the first mm -hmm. EP, so. Mm -hmm. You mean graphically and. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah. I'm, well, we make I'm, an effort. I mean, um, you, you, you try, you fail, you um, learn by doing. <laughs> so, yeah. You know, we like we like minimalistic, striking design concepts, I guess, and yeah. um, I, I guess one of the reasons also we never found um, the possibility, or rather, we never found it aesthetically um, matching one hundred percent to have someone else with their vision mm. of you know what was going on in their head, and. In their in their chests, um, transported to transposed to a canvas, being completely applicable to our music, and I always found that a very strange union. You know, looking at like albums um, from from this day and age, why does a band choose an artist? 
for yeah. their cover. And then at the same time within that year, that same artist might be used by five or six other prolific bands within the scene. Mm. And I always found that to be kind of detrimental to, <laughs> you know, your own little path sonically. That's um, true. That's interesting. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, that that's not the sole decision for doing it. I guess we're just very, we're very sort of um, insular in the way we do things. You know, we like to just take on this kind of DIY approach in a way. Yeah. What I, what I find uh, interesting also, though, is the, is the, is, for example, with Primordial, we have five of us in the band and we have particularly, you know, three very, um, you know, the three of us who were there in 91, it's like three old grumpy tyrants all pushing <laughs> and pulling in different ways. But with you guys, it's just you and Fabian. So you have a kind of distinct and, um, and at times advantage in the sense that you only have each other to convince. You don't have a sort of other party who holds sway in a democratic sense. Do you know what I mean? You either <laughs> go yeah. go together or you're going the other direction, you know? But, but, Precisely. Yeah. And, but have you found that that um, sort of has made things easier or more difficult? When it, I mean, yeah. is it sometimes more difficult when you need, say, the bass player to go, how about go to this note, as you've had in bands before, or the fact that you're almost completely in control, so to say, has made things much more, um, you know, forthright to move ahead. Absolutely, good question, Alan. And and it's um, I've been asked it many times, and the answers are always very similar. But it, there's not a day go by, or rather a week go by, with rehearsals where I'm really you know confronted with it in reality again, or when you go on on tour. Um, so it definitely has its pros and cons. Um, and I would say there's a lot, you know, it's more in favor, um, mm. uh, the two piece, uh, constellation, but there, some of the negative sides I would say are aside from, you know, physical debilitation, when you are trying to run for a late flight or something, it's just <laughs> two of us the baggage. That's, that's a big thing. But then, uh, I'm, I'm sort of left to my own, uh, means in terms of writing so yeah. I, I write most of the stuff you know and i can i i can really feel the pressure sometimes um mm. for standing alone and and wanting to be able to present more um especially when i'm stuck in a bit of a creative rut yeah. you know um so that that's one obvious um negative aspect to it which i would definitely have to have to um admit to but the rest of it, I mean, speaking on on personal levels, we you know we share a, a very um, healthy friendship and um, very little um, conflict or confrontation over the years. So that's also a, a great um, thing that we have in common mm. is being able to, if there are differences, we we tend to approach them in a, I guess, a very very grown up, healthy manner. You know, yeah, there was we talk about it. Yeah, and swallow it. Then it's then it's done. Yeah. There, there was something I was thinking about that I was kind of trying to sort of dig into, which is that, you know, in the sort of let's call it like the sort of um, to go from you know whatever it is chrysalis through to being butterfly born or whatever you want to call it in the underground, bands have a certain <laughs> sort of um, you know twelve, eighteen, twenty-four month cycle where they become a cause celeb or whatever you want to call it. And do you think? Do you feel that that sort of happened to you for a period of time a couple of years ago when you seem to be getting interviewed 
in some of the you know various sort of magazines at the time who wanted to know all about mm-hmm. who's this fucking mysterious dude with all the tattoos and this and that and the other and mm-hmm. you you know were sort of answering back and forth with a lot of those kind of magazines at the time and they all or must say online whatever you want to call them um and you were kind of you evaded the sort of for the most part the sort of hit pieces but but didn't necessarily as well but yeah you, you had a moment where that's it kind of people shone the spotlight at you and then it moves off somewhere else does mm-hmm. that would that be a fair observation to make of the bands of this of a moment in the band's career where it looked like everybody was kind of like observing what you were doing for a little moment in time yeah yeah definitely. outside of i don't mean like you know as if you just some anyway you know what i mean yeah yeah no absolutely there was there was that point around when we released our, our first ep ara um there that kind of really that momentum picked up a little and there was a lot of attention and we were we were kind of hyped um, within the circles you know uh, something i strongly disliked and mm. still do mm. um because it was apparent that it was just due to some you know some factors of that release the way it was recorded the way it sounded yeah and also because it, w- it was like the right moment at the right time or the wrong moment at the wrong time. Uh, There were a lot of other bands that were doing this kind of, you know, very ethereal sort of cavernous um, take on black death metal, you know? And um, I think that was the primary reason. Um, uh, Yeah. I mean, we, we got a lot of attention from, from some labels and stuff who wanted, we, we just weren't interested and we didn't know what we were, you know, talking about um, regarding all of that stuff. Um, getting in a new deal or or contracts, and I mean, it would have been a it would have been a fatal mistake having done that back then. Um, I think you're right. So, yeah. Um, I mean, and since then, the whole our whole fan base has changed. The whole you know take uh, the way the band is viewed. I think essentially what we're about. You know. Um, well, what I was trying to what I was trying to get at was also um, from the outside looking in at where the band was. There was a moment where there seemed to be, and I'm not just talking about something within the scene, I'm talking about sort of like superficial journalists from outside uh-huh. who were taking a sort of, um, uh, they were taking an interest because of uh, you, because of, you know, the the the, um, the figure you were striking, the tattoos and the everything. Mm-hmm. And there seemed to be a moment where there was um, a sort of, you could put, say, a healthy stroke, unhealthy interest from outside Definitely. the scene. That at, at that moment, when that kind of all those bullshit vice style voices, um, yeah, quite a lot of purchase in the scene, and that mm-hmm. was that was a sort of that's a strange light to have shining at you for a moment, and then mm-hmm. the searchlight sort of goes somewhere else. That's what I'm trying to get. It's not necessarily oh, okay. within, from gotcha. within the scene. It's sort of like people peering into it. You know, did you feel any sort of personal sort of pressure at the time, like? Um, oh fuck! I'm gonna do somebody's gonna fucking start doing hatchet yeah. jobs and all that. Well, kind of it was yeah. You're absolutely right, Alan. Um, it was a very it was a bit of a nasty wake up call. I mean, mm. regarding some of the attention, you know. Yeah, I think and we talked about it, was, it a bit at the time as well. But yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think what it led to was, and you you like this. This is juicy, you know, a change in <laughs> in the person. There was a lot of cynicism that sort of crept into my otherwise. <laughs> positive outlook um, <laughs> sort of proceeding especially regarding interviews and, and taking on interviews and yeah. you know seeing who was actually interested and yeah. um definitely i think that 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 sort of changed my yeah my outlook on on certain things for for a while um 
and then it calmed down, which was which was fine. Yeah. They sort of lost interest because I I gave the I spat my, the bone back at them. Yeah, and a lot of them didn't like that, and then they just lost interest. You know, as you do, they 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 want you to grovel and obviously yeah. make it more interesting for them. Yeah. Well, that's it's just what I observed from the outside, and they always move on to something else because they're they have shorter attention spans as well. They just move on <laughs> to the next whatever. Supposed, yeah. um, you know, oh well, this is the, this is our crusade for this couple of months. Now we move on to something else. And I'm sure most of the people who were writing some of those things back then are not even into, you know, no. metal or rock or anything anymore. No, no, no. But um, what, I'm, I'm, I'm right. inter- but I'm interested in this though. Like, do you think that you put a guard up, or do you think that you it sort of activated a sort of a little kind of like little cynicism switch, and you went, all right, okay. Because I've always, having done interviews for years and years, I always think to myself, you know, um, you know, kind of fool says all he thinks, wise man thinks all he says kind of thing runs through my head where mm. I've always been pretty ambiguous on some things and quite, not guarded, but kind of like think, trying to think to somebody who's trying to do me going, you know, this is my first language for a start, but you really think you're going to sort of outwit me, so to speak? So it's kind mm. of, if you, if you enter it in a little bit of a, a kind of a playful game, but are you know you're kind of um, aware Agreed. of people's ill intentions. At least that's where I start. Uh, yeah, from, you know. I think that yeah, I think that happened a little bit later after a few of those interviews had already taken place. But what I have to admit to is being back then a complete novice mm. in you know having a camera in front of me or a, an audio recorder and being put in my place for, you know, yeah. having to answer questions on the spot. I was not good at that back then. Yeah. And I think I made a lot of fatal errors in, in formulating myself really in a way which uh, perhaps sort of, you know, cast oil on the fire for them, you know, um, well, in my eyes, it definitely wasn't beneficial to the entire proceedings, but mm. um, it's something I can do a lot better now yeah. um, through through having sat through those uncomfortable situations and yeah. and seeing what can come of them, you know? Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I think those are two big lessons I learned um, during mm. that, that time. That's in- it's interesting you say that, and I think it's quite... Um... It's not that many people who would admit that, like, yeah, I fucked that one up. I got that one wrong. And so I learned, but, you know, but to learn something from it and at least to learn that, I suppose, that um, to analyze the intentions of some of the people when they come to ask you, mm-hmm. things, you know, mm-hmm. because um, there's a lot of, I, I've always find there's a kind of line to be walked between all of those, all of those things in kind of, um, in trying to be able to say something very serious and speak to the people who like the band. But if somebody does want to kind of, you know, pin your beliefs or ideals down, they find it very, very difficult or almost you can be deliberately obfuscant or whatever is the word. Do you know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. I'd agree for, for sure. And I think if, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but um, I tend to have a bit of a jovial approach to to, to um, interviews and stuff. I mean, I yeah. find I seem to find a lot of humor, yeah. be it you know, be it black uh, humor or not, um, yeah. in situations, yeah. and it sort of eases the this you know the entire um, process for me. Mm. Uh, and I think a lot of the interviewers didn't seem to like that. Well, at least it changed the vibes that they were kind of expecting yeah, me yeah. to emit. You know, yeah, yeah. so. Um, I don't know if that that had an effect on it as well, but uh, 
I think if you have this lighthearted kind of um, approach to it, it's going to work in my favor anyway. So, um, uh, yeah, I think you're right. I think it can disarm people. That's for certainly sure. If they come into something with um, a preconceived notion of how you are mm. based purely on your image on stage, precisely, you know, or yeah. all that kind of stuff, they get a very different attitude. Like I'm always super um, aware of just being like very, very polite generally to mm -hmm. everybody, especially people. You know, the people actually who do discuss it afterwards, you know, whether it's people in the stage, hands, the festival people, the people organizing stuff. And you'll find how much, and it's not because it's not an act, it's just like that's genuinely how I am. But you'll find that yeah. the power of um, the people who are the second and third hand conversation people, when somebody goes, oh, that guy's a dickhead. If you've been around for long enough, people go, don't think so, man. And so yeah. <laughs> kind, of, there's a, kind of there's a kind of groundswell of word of mouth and opinion of people who kind of, they don't really believe that yeah. sort of, you know, yeah. kind of the hatchet conversation. No, no, no. I'd, ha I'd have to agree with you there. Absolutely. Well, yeah, I mean, you're uh, the, the, the aura you emit always emitted when, you know, being around people or reading interviews or, you know, um, sharing a friendship with you was always a very, very um, friendly one, a very amicable one. So. Yeah, except for all the stuff I talk about you behind your back. <laughs> yeah, no, of course. Well, that's, that can remain behind closed doors, but yeah. It's like... <laughs> well, listen, what's the, what's, what was the intention then behind the festival now? Because I've been once as a visitor and once playing, um, and the idea yeah. was to kind of create some sort of um, yearly cultural hub of friends, or what was the intention behind that? That's, this is the era uh, well, I'm talking about now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, it started with we had this um, we had this little get together of uh, you know um, uh, <laughs> an anniversary of the of the band's um, you know um, of the band's forming, and uh, we invited a lot of bands. It was a, lot, a big success, um, at least given that it was sold out, being the small club it was in Zurich, and. Uh, we found it might be interesting having an annual kind of affair uh, as opposed to playing um, a show in Zurich in a tour situation, which is often surrounded with stress. Um, uh, yeah, and it never seemed to be good shows for us, uh, mm. technical problems um, and it's, so forth. It's but sometimes like that, isn't it? Playing in your hometown has a weird it, added pressure. I, I always it's say strange. something fucking over the top where I'm always like, I can see oh. Karen looking at me going, what are you doing? I'm like, or but I, like I go, I make a complete mistake and I look over and I'll see. <laughs> yeah, I, don't know, going, I don't know. I don't know. Going, Ooh. You know, <laughs> Isn't it weird? It's strange. Yeah. yeah. But it, I mean, there was at least the truth for us um, for many years. And um, <coughs> when the opportunity arose, we did that, that anniversary thing. Mm. And we thought, well, that was, that was cool. And um, so we thought it might be an idea to set it up and, and see how it goes. Anyway. We did, and the idea being we would want to bring a lot of bands to Zurich that would never never find the opportunity to, mm. to play because they won't, you know, find a position on a tour package which will run through Zurich. Yeah, yeah. Um, a, lot of, a lot of factors at play there. But, uh, yeah, so, I mean, that, that was the idea. Obviously, now, in hindsight, um, uh, we'd admit there were too many bands. At least it was a, it was a very courageous sort yeah. of uh, attempt. Or yeah. rather, optimist. But um, yeah, I mean, look. All in all, 
with Corona and the entire situation at hand, yeah, um, I consider it to be a success. I mean, sure. it was yeah. it was financially a little harrowing. We 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 lost some money, yeah. um, but um, we learned a lot of you know yeah. a lot of lessons on the way. Yeah, I think that there's an awful lot of temperate lessons to be learned by the music industry post COVID. I think that we're still they're still going to be um, learned and laid out as the months go by. Yes, um, sure. I don't, you know, which it's it's boring to talk about. People who have been listening to the podcast have heard me go on about it um, and stuff like that, and they're probably seeing it in their old local scenes and that kind of thing. And to be honest, if we'd done this interview a year ago when we did do it, it would be very different to what it is now. And I think I got mm -hmm. like I I've been using the word in the podcast a lot inertia. I got like, this incredible yes. feeling of inertia. Mm -hmm. The people were so sick of the bullshit for the last two 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 and a half years. They were like, oh please, just talk about heavy metal and music again. I can't take another <laughs> mention of, you know, blah, 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 Liberty, World Economic Forum, et cetera. Et cetera. Yeah, have you got your noose ready? It's like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but tell me this, though. Um, what's interesting is the um, position of Switzerland as always kind of this kind of middle, middle Europe or whatever you want to call it, but that isn't really mm -hmm. in Europe. Like, uh, mm -hmm. how do you feel that there's some kind of or what do you think that there is some sort of swiss persona or swiss um you know what are these sort of national characteristics of this strange country that sort of existed right in the middle of europe but always sat outside it you know playing it safe for sure yeah that's uh, definitely one characteristic which you'll find um exists among many people here mm. um i wouldn't say myself and fabian are your typical kind of swiss person no. but um well tell me and, this okay well then well why do you think that is because that's interesting to me because that's what i thought that you'd say but i want to what, know like, why you know being a sort of it's an outsider in a sort of quite a very regimented straight safe structured society you know which switzerland has always struck me as a a curious and odd place that i'm not really sure i quite really understand you know mm. Yeah, well, that's, I mean, I don't find that surprising. I mean, you're, you're probably not alone there, Alan. Um, and I, I, I would consider myself to be part of that demographic as well. But it's, um, it is a very, um, it, can, it can be a strange place for, for outsiders, absolutely. And I, it get, um, especially if you're, say, a foreign worker or someone from Germany or France and, you know, having a new position here and trying to integrate, make friends uh, socially. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, yeah. it's, I think it can be a very um, arduous experience, uh, difficult and leads to a lot of people leaving after, yeah. after some years. Why do you think um, that is though? I, I think this is, this is, you know, I think you'll find similar traits among some of the Scandinavian people, perhaps yeah. I'm generalizing too much there. No, I think, but I, I would think say, I, except for Finns, I think that's probably. Oh no, well, yeah. Yeah, a fair observation, I think. Yeah, <laughs> maybe a little more so amongst the Norwegians. I'm not too sure, yeah. but um, this this a very reserved kind of you know um, presentation of oneself and the way you go about your daily business and and. Um, it's it's okay to allow some people to have a an introspective into your life and the the way you you lead it privately and what you do and you know how much money you earn and what you yeah. pay in taxes and I stuff mean, like do you that. Think, do you think that relative prosperity breeds a sort of um, social conservative insularity or something? A absolutely, absolutely. Uh, I mean, I'd I'd lay my hands down for that. 
but I mean, I think it's also that, you know, years of the, of a, a prospering model, you know, what people would consider to be um, a functioning economic model sure. that they can reap a lot of benefits from. They wouldn't want to change that. So, yeah. I mean, if it's, if it's built on your forefathers kind of um, reserved conservative take on things, yeah, yeah, I, I think we should continue that, you know, yeah, that's yeah. what they, um, I don't know. I, I, I mean, I grew up in New Zealand half yeah, of my yeah. life. Well, that's what I'm, that's what I'm trying to see, see into is that you came obviously from New Zealand and you came from the outside in. So how was that coming from the outside in to try and fit into this? Yeah, but I mean, there's, there's a lot of, I mean, yeah, that said, there's a lot of, I grew up with a Swiss mother. I was born here. So mm. there are a lot of things that are familiar to me um, sure. and they don't seem out of place. And I would consider my, myself to be a um, uh, progenitor of some of those traits that I might find difficult, you know, sure, if yeah, you're yeah. not. Um, but that's just the way it is living and working here, you know. Yeah, um, yeah but I, I, rest assured, Fabian is a little bit more Swiss than I am in that sense, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Because I have this, this different sort of background and upbringing. Um, mm. But yeah, I mean, he's, he's also very um, um, unusual and, you know, and, and as, as are many other people um, and, and our friend of uh, circle of friends, yeah, there are a I lot mean, of great people that think outside of the box here as well, yeah, you know, and, yeah. and do good things. Yeah. The thing I find fascinating about Switzerland is that, it's sort of I th maybe one of the reasons why it never had any sort of internecine struggles because what it is I mean how many languages are in Switzerland eleven nine well, ten eleven no well I mean four um, occupationally relevant and culturally relevant everyday well, languages but well, you're also looking at areas of Slovenian you've got various dialects and you've got a, a bit more bits and pieces of kind of small percentages of other things in there as well don't you neighbors on f on four completely different major languages european languages sure and then you, you have you've, you've got like people within within switzerland but the, what i'm trying to say is switzerland manages yeah. to hold all these what are they called cantons kind yes, of yes you've got cantons yeah together even the though municipalities they, seem, they even though they culturally seem quite different and then you look at a country like Belgium, which in theory, like they didn't have a government for like fucking a year and a half or something and nobody mm. seemed to notice. But that Switzerland, maybe if you were in the EU, there might have been more pressures from a sort of centralized um, e European um, power, um, mm -hmm. you know, trying to wield power over Switzerland. That the idea that Switzerland held it, held all this stuff together could be half down to the fact that it isn't part of the European Union. <laughs> Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, the, the pressure is there. The pressure is certainly there. I'm, I'm sure it's going to it's going to increase in the coming years. But um, it wouldn't be it wouldn't be of you know of fiscal interest for Switzerland no, to join. Absolutely. So, that's what I so mean. That, that's what I'm trying to say is that the pressure once you're in it. Yeah. Um. You know, maybe it's it's better all things considered that Switzerland isn't. I mean, I would I would say so. Right. Absolutely. I'd I'd have to agree as well. But um. Yeah. So where were we regarding? So is there a solution for that? Um, that you know this outlandish kind of feeling like you're the you know the black sheep in a <laughs> in a group. I don't know um, culturally. I don't know. I mean, like uh, they. So I mean, it's not quite the same thing. But like my one half of my family is English, and they moved here after the Second World War, 
and my mother was like old lapsed Catholic. So I went to Protestant mm -hmm. primary and secondary schools, even though I was non, I was not, never, I never went to church. I went there because mm -hmm. of my parents, my father. Mm -hmm. and, but mm -hmm. I, so maybe it's, it's not quite the same, but I certainly got to view Irish society from outside of its Catholic yeah. sort of um, inner city, um, all the, all the, trappings the religious trappings and all of the social things you know that the go that everyone considers being irish my i was right. very much on the outside of that of course still being irish but uh, which is yeah. different to your experience but i do i think i do know something of being kind of outside the house looking in the window going what the fuck are they doing in there you know <laughs> Does that make I think, sense? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it does. Absolutely. I think we've actually talked about this in a hotel yeah, yeah. lobby early, early one morning. <laughs> no we've doubt. Got, yeah. But um, no, that's that's fascinating. And um, yeah, you have mentioned that before. I think I do have, a, I, I feel like that as well, given the, the, the New Zealand uh, background, the Kiwi background. And being a Kiwi in New Zealand with European parents, yeah. or like, parents from a different continent <laughs> yeah, was yeah. also was also a very strange um thing for a, a 16 to 18 20 year old to have as well in high school you know exactly, and yeah. i mean primary school you know how it is that yeah. was um so i was constantly sort of the odd one out and that yeah. became normality for me i mean it yeah. was just um some of it was unpleasant obviously when it got physical and, and abusive but uh mm. um yeah, I mean, otherwise, uh, but, that's in the where last Baltar, but that's where Balzer came from, then, really, isn't it? That's it's sort of yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, it's it made me the person I am, and my my it harbored my interests as mm. a 17, 18 year old. Made led me to read the things I read, and um, gave me um, yeah, just a fascination or a love for for the individual, you know, and this this kind of mm. I guess it is a it sort of a it comes back to this romanticized kind of idea of that as well. Yeah, you know. I mean, you you live you live it to a certain degree, but when you're reading this in a sort of poetic, philosophical, theoretical kind of construct in, in books, then it, it sort of reinforces it for you in a not an irrelevant, um, hyperbolized way, but it just it gives it a different kind of a, um, a petri dish to feed from. I don't know. It's like a yeah, it's. Gave it some more. Gave it some more um, relevance. I don't know. It was. Yeah, uh... I think I. I think I know what you're talking about because I, I always found that like I had I, I my sort of views on like Irish and Irish nationalism and stuff were a little bit different from everybody else's, and they change a little bit. And I think that they change a bit as I grew as I got older. But one thing it also gave me it was um, a a lot of Irish people and well many people that I know they have a very sort of inbuilt sense of, are you attacking the state? Are you saying something about the country, the history? Like they're very sort of like scratch the surface a little bit, your finger a little bit, and they will, they'll really push back against you if you want to kind of, you know, dig under, how we say, pull up the fucking, the coffin lid of Irish society and go, look at the darkness of the last 100 years, look at it. Because I, I used to say I was against the church and the state before the people. Then I realized I was kind of against the people as well, who mm. hid the horrors of the church and state mm -hmm. in their local communities. And I thought to myself, I know Ghosts of the Charnel House, perennial songs about that, um, the idea that all of a sudden you find yourself in a, in a position of one who wants to really view the horrors 
of you know institutional child abuse or something like this that if yeah, you yeah. get irish people they they it's like they push back and it's like what are you pushing back against i don't know uh, switzerland maybe doesn't have some of the same dark horror <laughs> that i maybe irish society has but it, it gave me a view from the outside in which was quite revealing uh, i thought and it gave me some interesting material for songwriting but it also gave me an, an interesting view into a kind of part of the irish psyche that i don't feel i have I don't know if you Absolutely. ever felt like that. You right. don't really yeah, yeah, yeah. feel Swiss either. Mm -hmm. I don't know, you know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think that's um, that's uh, a fair comment. I would have to add that Switzerland does have its um, skeletons in the closet. They are very mm. dark, you know, past regarding, for example, we have a... Um, we have this history of of young children in in uh, in orphaned foster situations being sent off to um, horrid working conditions on farms. Yeah, and um, really I'm sure we can beat you on that, but yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, abuse, sexual abuse, uh, yeah, yeah. rampant and just horrible, horrible um, stuff. And that was going on for years. It was just widely accepted as a as a solution. You know, the only solution for those children. And I read. Um, I read that Switzerland only gave women the vote in like 1952 or something crazy. Well, yes. And then there were one, one canton in particular. It, it, it only ended in the 90s. That's, yeah. It broke my brain. Madness. It's <laughs> absolutely, it's madness. It's yeah. total madness. Yeah. Yeah. And they, they, there would be a lot of the, the men in that, <laughs> in those towns would fight it until today. I'm sure if they could. Yeah. Which is just mad. Yeah. Um, so I guess that's sort of where our darkness might end. I mean, yeah. you know, aside from the, you know, clandestine workings of the Second World War and stuff like that. But I guess, mm. you know, that's um, that's another story. Yeah. <laughs> that's for the next album. <laughs> that's, for the, that's for the next. No, no, please. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, but all those kind of things went in together to making, do you think like Balser is the answer or antidote yeah. to those things for you? In that sense, you know, it's that kind of liberating thing from that sort of outsider status. I quite enjoy the being on the outside status anyway, but it's it's I do. it's a good yeah. place to be able to view things. Absolutely. I, I have to agree with you 100% there. I mean, it took me a while to really realize that, I think, mm. that that this musical sort of this musical um, uh, platform enabled me to to. I guess make something positive and enjoyable out of otherwise awful moments in my life, you know. And, and given I was an outsider too, just made it worse in a normal in a normal context and consideration. But if things were running well, I felt I was writing good songs and I'm I was happy with them. It gave me it gave me a positive enough outlook to be able to appreciate. Yeah. Um, the negative uh, <laughs> workings of my of my everyday life or situation. Um, I'm not one to complain at all. I, I feel very fortunate for what I have. Mm, yeah. um, uh, but um, you know, everything's subjective, and yeah, um, for sure. I mean, Bilzer is for for me just in general a uh, um, medicinal. You know, oh yeah, um, that's an interesting way to put it. Yeah. Doesn't, doesn't really it doesn't really uh, matter if I'm living in Switzerland or wherever I'd be. I think it would serve the same purpose or the it's means the, to an end. The antidote to the poison. <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> or at least so, you need to take you need to take it in, in regular doses. Yeah, you, you know, need to, to microdose that arsenic. You need to microdose that. Yeah. So what's going on then for the next months? The tour is coming up in um, September, October, right? Watain and Abbott and stuff. Indeed. Um, so that's gonna that's gonna be a big one for us, Alan. It's the yep. actually the biggest tour that we've had in our humble humble beginnings since our yep. humble beginnings. And, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, looking forward to it. Absolutely. Um, it's going to be a s- special situation. We have a very short set time every night. You know, we're yeah. going to have to make a make an explosive, compact line of songs. Yeah. Perhaps even some medleys. We're going to consider doing a medley Oof. or two. So <laughs> we'll see what what happens there. Uh, otherwise, we're just we're, we're planning to integrate two brand new tracks. Okay, um, which will be a part of this coming album, um, which uh, we're working on currently. Right. Um, plans for releasing next year, but we're not going to rush ourselves unnecessarily. Yeah. Um, we want to find a suitable um, working partner with first, and then sure. uh, and then yeah, focus on releasing it. Yeah, but that's that's really what's going on right now. I'm I'm thoroughly enjoying the direction it's going. Um, oh yeah, it's it's refreshing. Uh, I've managed to sort of re. How would you say? I don't want to reinvent myself every time. I, I don't think yeah. I can, you know. But um, uh, I think it's safe to say I've really put in an effort to 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 have some exciting new additions to like the the way the songs sound or the, what they're. Um, what they're trying to explain adding a horn section perhaps or <laughs> one section there will be there will be some trumpets in there somewhere actually <laughs> <laughs> there will be some trumpets well you can't say trumpets without saying trump so i mean that's the <laughs> oh, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> well a horn section might be safer yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right on that note on that note when you make decisions for your company you look for the no-brainers if you have a lot of mailing to do stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer use the stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89 percent off usps and ups make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with stamps.com use code program for a special offer that's stamps.com code program <laughs> 